overwhelmed today. Not in a bad overwhelmed. You ever just get like, uh, you feel him so tangibly that it just like over, it does something to you? I don't know what work he's doing, but it's a good work. I love my wife. She's great at what she does. Thank you, honey. And uh, I love my family, and I love our church family. Kiddos. <laughs> Good segue. The year of constant prayer. Someone say, get ready to pray. Get ready to pray. Oh, I'm so excited about this year. I started planning for this year, and like, uh, it was put on my heart probably in August. And I'm like, let's just go for it now. Because I think that this is going to change every person in this room. If you have the fortitude and the endurance to push through some pretty uncomfortable things. If you have the willingness to be open to things that you've never done before. If you have the willingness to take it to the next level and to rely on God and trust Him with everything you've got, this year will be transformative. This will be a, a 2022. This will be talked about for the next 10 years. If you allow it to do its work. If you allow it to do its work. I, I'm really excited about this. Let me, let, me tell you why, let me tell you why I'm really excited about this. Because I think that prayer is something that the church does not understand. Let me give you some context. There are churches with no prayer in it. And then there's churches that can get a little strange. We've got to be honest. There's churches that can get a little strange. And so we don't understand this. And it's not super clear. And because we don't understand it, we kind of just chalk our hands up and say, ah, well, I kind of do this thing. But how powerful would it be if we understood it, lived a life of prayer, and saw it be a constant part of our life? Does anyone want that in this place? So this year, I want to encourage you to have the fortitude to walk through some pretty uncomfortable things, to be open to what God's Word says, and to be taught what a life of prayer looks like. Amen, church? Constant prayer is not just a cool spiritual slogan idea thing. That's not just a whimsical, oh, Nick came up with a cool idea. No. No. A constant prayer life is actually a command found in the Word of God. We are commanded, you and I, if you profess the name of Jesus, you believe in the way, the truth, and the life, you then are commanded to pray continually. Nick, that's a big, that's hard. Because i got to talk on the phone to people. How do I pray continually in that? That's the whole reason that we're doing this series. What does it look like to live a life that is praying continually? Rejoice always, it says in the Word. Please take notes. Today, I just want to, also, i got to warn you. Today is a teaching day. Some days, I like the, I always say, I'm going to rip my shirt off and go through a wall day. Those, those days are awesome, but today is a teaching day, all right, church? So buckle up, get some notes out. We're going to learn perhaps the most integral part of why we get to pray. But rejoice always. There's that command. Pray continually. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, if life's really nice, pray continually. 
Mountaintop or valley low, pray always. Give thanks. That's something that we don't do enough. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Anytime that someone, like uh, the Bible says, this is God's will for you, that's, um, can't get any clearer than that. That's literally like, this is what he wants you to do, period. Pray continually. So this is a command that we have to understand, and it's something that we, we need taught in, and it's something that we're going to grow in. Amen, church? This is the year that we are going to discover the power of a constant connection with our Savior. And in the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about what a constant prayer life really looks like. And then over the course of the year, we're going we're gonna to stretch and use those muscles. We're going to train. We're going to practice. We're going to get stronger in this area. But first, I believe that we need to learn how to do it. Amen? So we're going to learn. We're going to discover how how to constantly connect with our Savior. And let me tell you something. Even the disciples didn't know how to do this. The guys who spent every day with the man himself, they didn't know how to do this. And so if this is unfamiliar to you, if you are a little bit uncomfortable with this, if you're not sure on how to pray continually, that's an okay thing. That's okay. Even the guys who started the church, they were at the founding, the foundation of the church, building it from the ground up. They didn't know how to do this. Look at this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, as Jesus always did. He was praying. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Someone say, teach us to pray. That's a good, good, yeah, that's a good thing. Teach us to pray. So apparently we don't know. Apparently we don't have it all together. And that's okay because we're going to learn. And we're going to grow. And this is going to become a part of our life. And when it does, again, this is going to be the best year of your life, I'm telling you. We need taught what a life of prayer looks like. It's not natural. And so I can, I, sometimes I feel like um, you could be sitting in your seats and you see Emmy going for it or you see me going for it. And that looks really awesome. You're like, oh, I wish I could do that. And, and, and pray in front of people or pray and speak with faith or even just do that with my family or with my children, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever it is, your circumstance, I'm telling you, you can do this and live this out, church. You don't need to be a pastor with a little degree in a microphone. You don't. You can do it too. Every person in this room can live a continuous prayer life. So that's what we're talking about. Today, we're jumping into Hebrews chapter 10. Ooh, Hebrews. This scripture that we're about to share, I'm going to dissect it even more in, in, in later context. But I want to share this with you. This is, the, this is the center scripture surrounding today. This is Hebrews chapter 10. You can put this up here. Look at this. Therefore, brethren, also, they're not sure of who the writer of Hebrews is. So the writer is writing to you and to me. And, but the one thing that we do know is that the writer of Hebrews had a Jewish background. He understood Jewish context. And so he was speaking in a language that would mostly apply to Jews but would apply to Gentiles as well. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, I feel like sometimes we can read the Bible and be like, what? The holy place, what? And then we read the blood of Jesus. Oh, well, that's pretty intense. So we're going to talk about what this scripture means today. Therefore, brethren, since we, someone say we, we have confidence to enter the holy place. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit. By the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil. Someone say the veil. We're going to be talking about a curtain today. The veil. That is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, you can put this up then. Let us draw near. Someone say draw near. Draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That, I'm telling you sometimes, like if you're reading the Bible for the first time and you read this, like if you were to read this section for the first time, that can sound like a lot of mumbo jumbo and I don't know what the heck's going on. We're going to talk about that. But the one thing that I want to say about, about today and the bottom line for this whole year, this whole series is this. Let us continually draw near to our Father with a sincere heart. That's the bottom line for today. To draw near to God with a sincere heart. And you're able to do that. And so I was trying to prepare, and honestly, this message was tripping me up this week. And, and, and I didn't know, like, we're talking about the year of prayer. I was like, how do I communicate this? I have so many things racing through my head. Literally, this can be like a 28-week series, and we're not going to do that to you. But we're going to do a 28-week series, and it's like, I don't know what necessarily to talk about. But I wanted to start with this. Is that we're in a relationship with Jesus. What he did on the cross enabled us to connect with God and to walk with him day in and day out. And the year of constant prayer, if I had to boil it down, is this. A year of constant connection with our Savior and a growth between our relationship with us and God. It's going to be a lot more intimate. It's going to be a lot clearer, a lot stronger, a lot more dependence on Him. But I wanted to start with this statement at the beginning of the series. Name any relationship, any relationship, marriage, marriage, or a, a relationship with your son or your daughter, friendships, whatever relationship you can think of, we cannot expect growth in our relationships without connection. You cannot expect growth in your relationships without connection. That would apply to God too. You want a growing relationship with God. You want to be faithful. You want to walk out this journey. And yet, sometimes we use God as like an SOS. Save us. We're in trouble. That's the only time we really go to him. It's the only time we really talk with him. That's really the only time that we connect with him. Other than that, I got my whole life sorted out. And in fact, the good things that happen, they're up to me. And I get the glory for that. And so... In any relationship, my, my marriage will not grow if I do not connect with my wife. If I'm not intimate, if I don't talk to her about the things that are on my heart, if I don't share who I am with her. Same with friendships. I cannot get closer to my friends without spending time communicating with, talking with, growing with, challenging, allowing some openness. I can't expect growth. I can't expect growth. And so if I had to boil down the beginning of this year, I would say this, is that your relationship is going to grow as you continue to connect with your Savior, your Father in heaven, and the Holy Spirit inside of you. We're going to grow, but that comes through constant connection. But here's the question for us to consider, and as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we go to God as an SOS, last resort, if I feel like it, if I remember question I would ask for you and for me today is knowing the fact that Jesus allows you to connect with him 
are you and am I? Are we available for this constant conversation? Do I present myself available for this conversation? The phone goes both ways. I think the church needs to remember that. The phone goes both ways. God wants to talk to us. God wants to meet with us. He wants to guide us. He wants to love us. He wants to shower us with great blessings and beautiful things and direction. He wants to give us vision, all these types of things. And sometimes we just don't pick up the phone. Sometimes we just don't reach out. And and in context of what we're about to talk about, I just want to urge you that we have to constantly reach out. Amen, church? Because I don't want to take for granted the fact that now, with the sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, we can connect with God constantly. So today is a teaching lesson. Take some notes. I want to start with this fact. Do you know that God's presence was not always available to humanity? God's presence was not always accessible. And in our context, when we talk about Jesus, we don't really have like a, how do I say it? We don't understand the weight of that sentence because we have the accessibility. But believers in the past did not have the ability to constantly connect. (laughs) And so whenever you understand that you are able to connect with God, you are able to contact Him, you are able to talk with Him, you're able to conversate with the guy who created the universe, we don't take that for granted. And we go for it constantly. God's presence was not always available to you and to me. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 if you got your word. Hey, I know we're stepping into the year of constant prayer, but we're still obsessed with his word. Amen? So, Hebrews chapter 9, this is verse 1, says it like this. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Wait. Again, Hebrews is pretty in depth. We are in the new covenant. Someone say new covenant. If you want to put it very simply, if you read your Bible, there's the second half called the New Testament, and there's the first half called the Old Testament. The New Testament follows the life of Jesus and the death and the resurrection and what happened afterward. The Old Testament, the Old Testament, give me some grace, this is hard. The Old Testament is life prior to Jesus. Life before the Savior of the world gave his life for you and for me. So the first covenant that God made with his people had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle. You'll see this word in the Bible. Someone say tabernacle. We'll be talking about that in a few moments. But this was the original nomadic tent that God would reside in. The tabernacle where his presence would be amongst his chosen people. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Someone say holy place. Do you remember we talked about that in Hebrews chapter 10? Now we're going to get some understanding. This was called the holy place. Behind this curtain in this first room, this was a holy place. Not many people can go there. Above the ark, the ark of the covenant, 
Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Yep, I'm reading ahead. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the golden covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Why not, the writer of Hebrews? But that's what he says. That's what he says. Let me give you just some understanding. All of these words, these cherubim, all these like altars, let me just kind of boil it down to this. God's presence resided in the most holy place behind a curtain. That's where his presence was on earth in one finite place. What's a beautiful thing is that even though in the beginning of time we made the mistake, we separated from God, he still wanted to be on earth with us. However, he could only be in one spot, this ark. So he was behind this curtain. I wanted to share with you in Exodus chapter, uh, or no, Hebrews chapter 9. It keeps going. I'm sorry. I'm like jumping all over the place. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests, someone say the priests. So when they had the curtain and the most holy place and the holy place, when everything was arranged and set up in this tabernacle, the priest entered regularly into the outer room, the first room, the holy place. Not the most holy place, the holy place. The priest could go there. And they carried on their ministry. What was the ministry? But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that was once a year, never without bloodshed, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people he had committed in ignorance. In other words, their ministry there was purifying themselves so that one man, someone say one man, one man could go behind that curtain once a year. Only one man, once a year, could enter the most holy place and experience the presence of God. Did you know that? Only one man could step into the presence of God, and that was after he was purified. Let me give some context to this. They would actually tie a rope to this man, for if he had faltered on his offerings, and he didn't do it properly according to the word of God, he would be imperfect, and anything that is imperfect or unholy in the presence of a holy God died. And so what they would do is they would tie a rope onto his leg, and then on the robes, they would attach bells to the bottom of the robes so they would know if he fell over in the presence of God and died, and they would pull him out and wait until next year. That's how rare the presence of God was. One man, hopefully. Now we have access to this. That's crazy. Let me not jump ahead too far. The most holy place began in the tabernacle. I want to give you the history so that you can understand what Jesus truly did and who Jesus really is, okay? The most holy place began in the tabernacle. They carried the Ark of the Covenant wherever they went in the wilderness season. Does anyone remember the series The Wanderer? They would carry with them the tablets and the Ark of the Covenant all throughout the desert, and they would be in this place called the tabernacle, which was a nomadic tent, a nomadic tent. Do you know what nomadic means? That means just... Just a wanderer person. Someone who goes from place to place doesn't have a home. For Israel was wandering in the desert. And in the tabernacle, when the spirit of, or when the cloud that God sent would move, they would move the tent, pack it all up, and they would set up God in his place again. One place. It began in the tabernacle. Someone say the tabernacle. Exodus 25 says it like this. Look, 
Exodus, you can put this up here. Go ahead. Have them construct a sanctuary for me. This is God talking to Moses on Mount Sinai. He goes up to meet God face to face. This is where the tablets, everything is written for, for uh, the instruction of, of God's people. Have them construct a sanctuary for me. Sanctuary. Have them construct a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell. Someone say dwell. I may dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, so you shall construct it. Exodus gets really hard because for the next 15 chapters, you just read on how to build a table and a chair. It's like, like, here's what the pattern of the cloth needs to look like. It's really intense. But for the next 15 chapters, Exodus reveals to us what the tabernacle is supposed to look like. And Moses fulfilled everything and even built that curtain in between the most holy place. Then what ended up happening is when they entered into the promised land and they resided in Jerusalem, yay, that's amazing, they made it to the promised land, the nomadic tent was over. And so they had to build a holy place. The most holy place then moved within the temple of Jerusalem. No longer were they wandering in the desert hoping to find their promised land. Now they're there and now they need to build a place where God would reside permanently. Now the Lord had fulfilled his word. This is awesome. This is uh, 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8, okay? And David wanted to build the temple. David, the mighty king, the guy after God's own heart, wanted to build the temple. And God said to David, no, 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 not today, not in your life. Your son is going to build the temple. Solomon, the wisest man of all time. Read Proverbs. It's amazing. And so Solomon is speaking here in 1 Kings, and he says, now the Lord has fulfilled his word. Remember that series, Forgotten Promises? He never fails. Never. The Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. For I have since risen in the place of my father David, and I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the house. Someone say the house. For the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have set a place for the ark. At this time, they still had the ark. I have set a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, God's presence resided in a permanent place. If you read about the temple, it was ornate, made of all gold. God is like super obsessed with gold. It's weird. Like he's just, gold is so radiant and brilliant and it reveals his glory and his goodness. And so everything was gold and beautiful wood and it was magnificent. It was a beautiful place of worship where God's presence was in one spot in the earth. If that were still true today, we would have to, we would all buy houses right around this temple and they'd be worth like $4.8 billion each house, right? One place, one place where you can meet God. Just so you know, the regulations didn't change. The most holy place was only accessible still to one man. Then Israel ignored God. They were unfaithful and they didn't heed his wisdom. And then eventually, some people came in and conquered Israel. Israel was conquered and they went into exile. Does anyone remember the series, The Wall? Judd, preach, pray, and prepare, baby. You better believe it, right? The wall. This is the story. This is the history. I want you to gather some understanding as to why this is so important today. So Nehemiah is a story about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem. And then Ezra, you might have heard of him. Ezra is a, a story about the rebuilding of the temple. 
Israel was conquered. They went into exile. The temple was destroyed and needed rebuilding. You know, the other thing that was really sad, though, about this exile is the Ark of the Covenant was lost. The presence of God was gone. And I know that while the physical Ark was gone, what we can understand metaphorically is when we are disobedient, the presence is far away. But when we listen to his commands, love him with our whole heart and give him everything, oh, he draws near. So the presence was gone. And in Ezra chapter 3, they gather some of the leaders of the homes of Israel and they start rebuilding the temple. I know the ark isn't there, but we're going to rebuild his place of worship in the, and we're going to do it. And so look at Ezra chapter 3. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And so some contractors went and built the foundation of the temple again. And everyone was really excited. I thought this part was interesting. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept. Wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. This would not be the radiance that it was before, but they knew that the house of God was important. A place of worship. A place where they could worship God's presence and seek Him. This is the temple that you would find in the New Testament, that same temple in Jerusalem. So, this is the temple that would then fall at Jesus' last breath. There's this moment in John, I believe it's John chapter 2. It might be Luke chapter 2. I'm all like, it gets fuzzy, okay? Jesus is in the temple and he says, hey, you guys are selling stuff in the temple. You're abusing money. Get that crap out of here. This is where he like flips tables. And they, the Jews respond. You can put this up here. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? To prove your authority, Jesus, to tell us what happens in this house. To prove your authority to tell us that we can't sell or work with money in this place. What authority do you have to dictate what happens in this temple? Someone say there's a change coming. There's a change coming. Jesus answered, in like this weird cryptic way, as Jesus always did. Who are you to tell us what happens here? And he said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They were like, dude, you're crazy. You're weird. It's okay to be a believer and be a little bit strange. <laughs> Jesus was strange, all right? They replied, the Jews replied, in such logical way, this temple took 46 years to build. And you're going to raise it back in three days. You, one man, in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Someone say his body. Are you guys tracking along with the history of the temple, the tabernacle? Then in Jerusalem, Solomon built a temple. Then it was destroyed and they rebuilt it. And now Jesus is going to change what the temple really is. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Remember, he will teach us things and remind us of what, he, what we have learned. They recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. At this very moment, Jesus was going to change what it means to have a temple. The temple was going to change. 
No longer was God's presence going to be in one place. Again, I have to teach you the theology and the doctrine behind this temple so that you can understand that you have access to the presence of God each and every second of your life. The temple had to change. No longer is it in one place. And when Jesus, he's on the cross, when he was giving up his last breath, when Jesus cried again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. (sighs) He gave it up. At that moment, someone say the curtain. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. Wait. When they had built this curtain, they had parameters as to how this curtain was going to be built. It was a thick curtain. I'm not talking a shower curtain. I'm not talking a little like, you know, the little thin curtains that you put in front of your windows. No, no, no. This was a curtain that was thick. Have you ever seen videos of people trying to break like phone books and they're like, oh, you're so strong. Yeah. This curtain was unbreakable. It was woven and so thick And it divided God, his presence, from man outside of the most holy place. And so what did Jesus essentially do? He said, hey, this thing, only I can tear the curtain down. And only I can make my presence accessible to everyone here. And so in a miraculous display, he breathed his last breath. And that thing that once hid the presence of God now revealed the presence of God to all. Someone say the curtain was torn. Y'all tracking with me today? So the curtain dividing man and God's presence was finally torn. Where his presence would reside in this holy place, this most holy place. Only one man had access, hopefully if he was pure and clean. It was finally ripped in half. Truth is, his presence was now available To all through the sacrifice of Jesus. All who would call on the name of Jesus had had access to this presence of God. Not just one man once a year, hopefully. No, you and I now have access because the curtain was finally torn. So can we go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and read this differently? Therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, since we, someone say we, No longer just the Israelites. No longer just the chosen people. We. Us. Everyone in this room. We. We. Not just one man. I get emotional thinking about this. We. Me. Broken me. Messed up me. We. We. Church, someone say we. We. We have confidence to enter the holy place. The place where God's presence is. By the blood of Jesus. That is the only way that you can enter. By the blood of Jesus. Scripture, I don't know why this is on my mind, but let me make this clear. Scripture says that false churches and false preachers and teachers do not profess the blood of Jesus. The blood is important. The blood that bought forgiveness of sins. The blood, someone say the blood. A church that doesn't talk about the blood isn't a church. The blood. Enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. Which he inaugurated for us through the veil. Someone say the veil. 
he uses those words precisely. Now there's a curtain, but the curtain is changed. That is, someone say, his flesh. So the curtain dividing God's presence is no longer a physical curtain in Jerusalem. Now it is his flesh. And since we have such a great priest that is Jesus over the house of God, someone say, let us draw near. We. We can go behind this curtain, this flesh. Jesus would open himself up. Cleanse us, purify us, make us whole. Speak on our behalf so that we can enter the holy place. Amen, church? Say, I can enter the holy place. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You can now enter the holy place. But wait, Nick. But wait. Only priests could enter the holy place. Only priests who are cleansed and pure can enter the holy place. You and I are priests that can enter the holy place. Someone say the Bible is perfect. I, I love it. This blows my mind. I have this tattoo on my arm. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. It says this. But you're a chosen people. A royal what? Priesthood. You, Holly, are a priesthood. You, Kevin, you're a part of the priesthood. Only priests can enter the holy place. Look at what Peter does for you and for me. You are that person that can enter the holy place. You are a priest. Amen, church. Do you see why this is all important? Before we start the year of constant prayer and we learn how to pray, let's first understand that you and I have unlimited access to the presence of God. You are a royal priest. Someone say, I am a royal priest. I'm a royal priest. Unlimited access behind the curtain. And you're being made clean and you're sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. You will not die in the presence of that which is holy. For you've already been made clean and made whole. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him. That's what priests do. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're a royal priest. You can go behind this curtain now. You have access to the presence of God. No longer is he just in one place at one time for one man. He's available to you. We have access to the presence of God. And so when he says, pray continually, I say this all the time. Jesus would not give you a command that he wouldn't enable you through the spirit of God to fulfill. He would not set you up for failure. He's not that type of father. So he's going to equip you. When he says pray continually, the spirit of God is going to equip you and empower you to actually live a life out. Oh, no, pray continually. That's like an impossible thing. What is done with man is impossible, but what is done with God is all things are possible. You can do this. You can actually pray continuously. You can actually fulfill the command, not just a fancy phrase, not just a spiritual suggestion. You can actually live out the command found in the word of praying continually. Is anyone excited about that? I know, I know that this is a teaching thing, and I know that this is not like a hoorah message, but that's a big deal. From the very outset of this year, I want you to understand that you have unlimited access to the presence of God. And you can actually live out the life of being a priest and continuously talking to God. Amen, church?
So I have a couple things for you and me to understand. Before we step into our week, I want you to understand this. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Remember, we talked about in Hebrews chapter 10, it is through his flesh that we enter into the holy place. That is the new veil. There's a famous scripture. Remember, when we read the scriptures, pay attention to these specific words that Jesus has chosen to put in them. Anyone know the scripture? Don't put it up, Danny. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through. What an interesting word. What an interesting word. Why didn't he say, those who believe in me? Maybe he's implying that he's a veil or a curtain that we can step through. I am the way, the truth, and the life, it says in John chapter 14. No one comes to the Father. Go ahead and put this up there so they can read it. Thank you, thank you. No one comes to the Father except through. Someone say through. Pay attention to the words of the Bible those minute details you can read that scripture over and over and over and over again and you can miss this one little word through someone say he's the veil you step through a curtain he's the only way no one comes to the father except through me I'm the way the truth and the life I'm the way the truth and the life you need Jesus and he is the one who sacrificed his life so that the presence of God would not just be in one place at one time for one man, hopefully. No, you and I can walk through. Someone say through. Pay attention to those words. There's only one way, and that's Jesus. Amen, church. Anyone who says otherwise, no, no. Only one way. Not being good enough, not being a perfect, not having awesome perfect attendance at church, not through giving money to the church. There's only one way, one way to the Father, through Christ. Now God's going to sort out all those other details. He's going to place you in the right community. You're going to worship Him with everything you've got. But there's only one way to God, Jesus. Don't get it twisted. Amen? Second thing that we have to understand from this is we have to choose to go behind the curtain. We have to choose to go behind the curtain. You have to choose to draw near to God. Now that you've been given this unlimited access, we can go through in and out, and we can walk into his presence. There's times where we need to go and be in the world and carry him with us, but I'll tell you what, man, we have to make a decision to enter into his presence, a decision to go behind the curtain, a decision to have a conversation with him, a decision to commune with God. James gives us clarity to that. Apparently, we need to draw near. Come near to God and he will draw near to you. What a beautiful thing that the creator of the universe would actually be willing to draw near to someone so fallible, so broken like me. But we have a responsibility. You as a royal priest need to draw near. Someone say draw near. Wash your hands. Do you guys see? This is kind of like the tabernacle here. Cleanse yourself. Get ready. Cleanse yourself. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The only one who can wash you, cleanse you, get you ready for this interaction is Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Cleanses us from our sin. No other way. No other way. 
but we have to choose to draw near. And so in this year of constant prayer, you have to choose to draw near. This is an intentional choice to connect with your Savior. Amen, church? Last thing I want to say is this. The temple has also changed. We carry the presence of God within us now. We carry the presence of God within us now. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells within you. So what's beautiful about that is twofold. A, you carry the presence of God with you. And hopefully and prayerfully that when people interact with you and see you, they see the magnificence of him. Let me also state another thing. The temple was intentionally created beautiful. And we have to care for our temple. Physically and mentally, emotionally and spiritually. We have to care for our temple. That's why other scriptures will say, put to death therefore which belongs to your earthly nature. Because evil things do not reside in that temple. No, no. So we got to get this out. we got to care for this. You've been given this. It's a, it's a privilege to have a body. You're a temple. You're a temple. So we got to care for it. we got to make sure it is radiant, beautiful. And God's going to do that work. But also, when people see you, you're going to reveal the goodness of God to them. When you look at the scriptures and you look at what Solomon had built, it was the most beautiful place. And I know that when people are going to look at you, I mean, y'all are beautiful. That's good. But it's going to be a beautiful sight to look at believers who are filled with the Spirit of God. It's going to do something to the world around them. Amen, church? I pray that when people see you, they see the glory of the Father. Amen? So, bottom line for today is this. Let us continually draw near to our Father with a sincere heart. And that is only made possible because of the new temple that is built. The way, the curtain, Jesus, the way that you can enter in. And now the presence of God resides within you. You have unlimited access. Someone say, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. Not just the guy with the microphone. People who believe in the way, the truth, and the life are now a priest. Unlimited access. Amen, church? I know today was a teaching day, but we got to start off with that. You and I have unlimited access if we confess and believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you've made your presence available and accessible to each and every person here. That no longer would you hide behind one specific place for one specific man. But God, you were available, made yourself available to each and every person. No matter how broken, no matter what position, no matter where we were at, for how long. Thank you. Not worthy of your presence. But yet you made it available. So, I, God, I, I, I pray, and, and if we could keep our heads bowed. If there's anyone in this place who needs to begin that relationship with Jesus, needs to place their faith in Christ, it's really simple. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through Him. There's no other way. And if you want to begin that journey with Jesus, it's as simple as this. It says it in, in Romans. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he's your Lord and Savior, that he died and rose again to set you free. Other places throughout the word of God will say, repent and believe and be baptized and you will be saved. Repent, believe, be baptized, you'll be saved. I want to offer a moment today for you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. 
so that you can begin this journey with him and walk with the creator of the universe. On the count of three, if you want to make that decision today to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth for the first time, go ahead and raise your hand. One, two, three. I see the hand. That's awesome. I see the fifth. That's good. Does anyone want to make that decision to finally, finally believe? That's good. Well, let's pray. And uh, if you if you raise your hand, just pray this in your heart. Jesus, I give you everything. I'm ready to walk with you. I believe that you died and rose again to set me free from my sin and allow me access behind the curtain to be with you. Yes, here on earth, but everlasting. Jesus, I turn from my old ways, and I'm ready to step into a life surrounded and surrendered completely to you. In Jesus' name, everybody prayed. Amen. Can we lift up a shout of praise for those who made that decision today? That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome.